You're watching City Channel 4, your window to our community. So let's begin our uh, work session, uh, Iowa City City Council work session for Tuesday, June the 20th of 2017. The first topic is a presentation on, I don't know, the Invest Health Initiative. So Tracy and I know Vicki is out there and Pauline is over here and hi, I've forgotten your name, but it's good to see you. Yeah, I apologize. And, well, I've forgotten yep. your name too, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for letting us present. Um, if you remember back in April of 2016, we were um, selected as Invest Health City by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is one of the largest healthcare foundations in the United States. So we we're excited to be um, part of this initiative. When the university approached us about being part of this, it was great because it was the first time community development staff got to be part of a healthcare community development collaboration. Um, to apply, you had to have five individuals representing different sectors, and we have our Invest Health team here. Um, Pauline, our council members on the team. Then we have Catherine Dorsey from the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Kath, sorry, Vicki Meany from the Institute of Public Health, or the College of Public Health. And we have Marianne Den Dennis from the Housing Fellowship. So that's our team of five. We applied to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, was selected as a city. And then Vicki's gonna take you through um, a lot of the healthcare, the reasons about why we're in a collaboration and what we hope to do in Iowa City. Vicki, before you start, let me interrupt for very briefly. I was supposed to report that Kingsley Botchway cannot be with us here tonight for the work session or the formal meeting. I promised him I would, so Kingsley, I've done it now. Welcome, Vicki. It's nice to see you. All right, you. thank you. It's good to meet everybody. Again, thanks for having us. Um, like Tracy said, this is the Invest Health project, and I want to give you a little bit of background on Invest Health, why we were selected. Um, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, like Tracy said, is the largest health foundation. The Investment Fund is a large housing foundation, and the two of them got together and partnered to develop this Invest Health. And the reason that they did that is because they wanted to target small cities, so a population between 50 and 400,000, because those cities don't have opportunities that exist for other towns that are either smaller or larger. And so um, this is why they they chose this target population. Um, they also chose this target population because they feel like mid-sized cities have the ability to make changes and to kind of promote those changes maybe a little bit faster than some of the bigger cities and they have more resources in some of the smaller towns. Iowa City and Des Moines were both selected as an Invest Health City. There were 50 cities selected out of 180 applicants, so we feel pretty honored to have been selected. And of course, there are 50 different projects um, that are happening with Invest Health. For our specific project, our vision is that all Iowa City residents deserve a healthy, safe, and vibrant neighborhood that positively contributes to their physical and their mental health. Our goal specifically is to reduce disparities for children and adults with asthma and for children and adults who have mental health and behavioral health challenges who are residing in low-income neighborhoods. We're doing this through what's called a collective impact model. I don't know if anyone of you have heard of a collective impact model, but it's 
essentially a model that has the five things that are listed on the screen. Folks have to agree on a common goal. They track progress and they measure progress in the same fashion and they agree upon how they're gonna measure that in the beginning. They have consistent communication and they have skilled and ongoing resources that help support the coordination and the efforts of what's happening. The biggest piece of this is that there's a lot of strengths that are pulled together. So we have a stakeholder group that consists of the five of us, which the whole thing is really kind of neat because the five of us didn't know each other before we started this project. We formed a, a bond and a nice partnership and that has impacted the rest of our stakeholders. So we invited other stakeholders, folks like United Way, the different hospital systems, we have a physician, the schools, um, residents, we have neighborhood advocates, all of those folks are on this stakeholder group. There's about 33 stakeholder members now. We meet quarterly and the very nice part about that is we're bringing the strengths that we each have to this collective. So the city of Iowa City and our city council and the folks who are dealing with policy, they bring their policy expertise and the funding expertise. We have providers who bring the direct connection with residents. And we have folks from the university who provide a student workforce and they provide evaluation and data so that we can actually determine if the interventions that we're planning to do, if they will make a difference. So I wanna talk a little bit about the health disparities in Iowa City. We know that where we live um, impacts our health. And I'm gonna get into a little bit more of that in a little bit, but just to sort of set the stage. Um, poverty is an important determinant of, of health. Poverty, if you're living in poverty, it's a very stressful situation. Many people who live in poverty actually smoke more, they have higher blood pressure. There's a lot of things that happen in um, poverty situations. And, and also poverty, the stress of that can contribute to poor mental health. In Iowa City, we've seen some definite increases in poverty. We had an 18% poverty rate in 2005, and that's risen to 28% in 2014. We also saw a, cha saw a change in gross rent payments in Iowa City from $572 a month to $861 a month. And that was from 2000 to 2014. And of all 99 counties, Johnson County actually has the highest percent of households that are cost burdened. I wanna also talk a little bit about some of the asthma and mental health statistics because those are the two focus areas that we have for our project. One in 13 people are actually diagnosed with asthma and that means that there's 17 million adults and what that translates into for product productivity and work days is that there are 14 million missed days per work every year because of asthma. That's an incredible number. We also know that asthma is the leading cause for missed school days for children. It's a tremendous cost burden. There is 56 billion a year that's spent on asthma and that translates to about 3,200 per person per year. We also have some statistics on mental health. Mental health is a, is a big thing that's happening in the news all across our nation. There's healthcare shortages, there's workforce shortages for mental health with all different layers from doctors to in-home workers and providers. 
mental health statistics are growing. One in five adults actually has a mental health diagnosis. Many of those diagnoses start in teenage years, and it takes between eight and 10 years to actually get the treatment from when the symptoms first start to appear. And that's because people don't recognize it and treatment's not easily available. Mental health has an economic cost burden of about $210 billion a year. I'm sorry, that's for depression. There's an additional $42 billion a year for anxiety. Those are just two of the top mental health conditions. There are many more. The total cost burden for mental health in our nation is $647 billion a year, which again is a tremendous number. The United States spends a lot of money on health care. In fact, it's in 2014 was averaging over $3 trillion annually. But this um, slide shows you that when you look at the wealthiest of the nations, the United States is actually the lowest one on there when it comes to the quality of our health care. And that's looking at different, nation, different measures, including access, efficiency, equity, and also looking at things like child um, or infant mortality and morbidity. We spend a lot of money. That's a given, but we are not the nation with the highest life expectancy. This is a chart that shows life expectancy per years on the left and the amount spent on the right per capita. And you can see that the United States is sort of way off on the right. Um, we have a, a decent life expectancy of 70 some odd years. It's not great, but we also spend much more than other countries. So we really need to sort of look at what are other countries doing. Japan and Norway and, and some of those other countries are doing things that are helping their systems thrive. We know that health begins where we live, where we work, and where we learn and where we play, and we really need to start looking at health as a system and stop looking at our healthcare system as the only thing. Healthcare is built upon a sick system. It's built on going to the hospital and seeking care when you're not feeling well. We're starting to sort of understand prevention, but we haven't wrapped our heads yet around health as a system. So really thinking about safe and stable housing, thinking about being in an environment where you can go out and exercise and walk and feel confident that nothing bad will happen, being able to access nutritious food and clean water. Those are important parts of, of health that we don't necessarily think of at the top of our minds when we're talking about health. This graph shows the determinants of health, and this is usually an interesting slide for folks because when we think about healthcare, we think about clinical care, we think about hospital, we think about doctor visits. But healthcare is only 10% of what determines our overall health. The orange triangle there is the representation of the doctor visits and time spent in hospitals. 10% of, of that is determined, will help to determine your health. Another 10% is about physical environment, so where you're living. 10% is also about genes and biology. You can't really do much about that. If you're born with a gene to have high blood pressure, you're probably gonna have high blood pressure. You need to get treatment for that. That's done through healthcare delivery. 
But there are other things like health behaviors and socioeconomic factors that really feed into the health of populations. So thinking about choosing to smoke or not to smoke, that's a health behavior. Choosing to exercise or to eat nutritious food when you have it available, that's a health behavior. Also looking at those economic factors, like I said, poverty is a big contributor. Those are things that we can, can take control of and help to um, impress a healthier population. There's been a lot of research done about neighborhoods and how neighborhood health is impacted, even just by moving a mile or two up or down an interstate. This is a map of St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm not familiar with St. Paul, but they've done these in some of the bigger cities. There's one for Chicago, there's one for New Orleans. The New Orleans one actually shows that there's a 20-year difference in life expectancy, depending on where you live within that city. In St. Paul, you, if you choose to live two miles from the, the center of the city, you might expect to live 70, 75 years. But if you choose to move a little further out in the suburbs, you might have a life expectancy of 83 years. Tyler Norris is a, a person who works and has worked for a number of years with healthcare um, at Kaiser Permanente and, and other health-related jobs. But um, he has said, and, and this quote has been repeated a lot, that for the first time in history, children born in the United States today will have a shorter life expectancy than their parents, which is sort of a sad realization. We know that our system is a sick care system, like he refers to it. It's not a health system. Um, and the issue is that we need to get the health system and the housing sectors and all of the sectors to work together to impact health. Tyler Norris indicates that we have to work with the people who are in the zip code improvement business. And that's what this Invest Health Project is all about. With that, I'm going to turn this over to Tracy so she can describe the rest of the project. As a city, we are part of the zip code businesses. Um, it's part of our goal to make sure that every neighborhood is vibrant, safe, that people are healthy, and that they thrive. They have access to opportunities. They have access to employment, to good schools, to parks. So we're looking at what neighborhoods should we invest our money in, what neighborhoods should we invest our time in. So we. Invest Health gave us a lot of tools to look at and how we can target what neighborhoods we need to target. So we looked at Policy Map. It's a kind of a GIS-based model that has census information, other information that we could put local information into this model as well. So we looked at percent of families in poverty in Iowa City, percent of non-white, and then the university was able to provide us where clusters of people that are attending the emergency room hospitalizations for asthma. Um, so when we chart those out, look at the purple areas, and then those areas with dots show where asthma peaks. And unfortunately, I can look in Coralville, I can look in Cedar Rapids, and just based on where asthma peaks, I can pretty much predict where low-income populations will live. So it plays out across the country. So we also, mental health data is very hard to find. Um, due to HEPA laws, different laws, we have a hard time finding it. So we took this map and we met with some of our community mental health providers and say, are these the neighborhoods? Would you agree that disproportionately that you might have more of your clients from these neighborhoods? And they basically said yes. So they can't give me addresses, but they can basically say, yes, you're on the right path. So what we did based on that information, we targeted four neighborhoods. So that's your Broadway neighborhood, Towncrest, Hilltop and Pheasant Ridge. This is where asthma's peaking and this is where we're gonna concentrate our efforts. 
So what we've done since we found out we we're in Best Health City, you know, we were chosen in April. In June and September, we went to the convenings, the national convenings, where we learned about health disparities, um, barriers for neighborhoods, especially as it as when we're talking about people of color um, and very low-income persons. Um, so we learned about these things. We learned about how health and community development collaborations can work in, in different communities. Um, back in March, we had some public health graduate students, and then we had neighborhood advocates, and we had our, our partner agencies that helped us to do a survey. And I think I put that survey, it was in your info packet. So we had a great survey, we had a great outcome. So at that time, we had a very targeted neighborhood. We had about 695 households, 177 um, returned surveys. So that was a, a great response rate. So while we can't say for certain that these things are occurring, we know with great likelihood that those survey results are, um, are correct. We presented the, about health collaborations and community development collaborations to the Iowa Governor's Conference in Des Moines. We presented to the University of Iowa College of Public Health in April of 2017. We helped apply for a human rights grant with Parks and Rec, police, the MPO. Um, whether you call it collective impact or rapid incrementalism, we're trying to do those things in these neighborhoods that improve the health in whatever way we can with whatever knowledge and expertise that we have and looking for those partners that can help us. So. The Free Wheels program was going to, we targeted 15 junior high youths in our, in our neighborhoods. They will receive training on bike maintenance, um, safety, um, oh, bike maintenance safety. Well, they're gonna learn a lot. <laughs> and then after four classes, they get the bike if they go to all four classes. And they, we also equip them with a helmet, bike lock, and lights. Um, then in May, we just found out, and we're excited about um, one of those new partnerships. It's called Healthy Homes. We received seventy-five thousand from the Housing Trust Fund of Johnson County. Um, we are partnering for the first time with the University's College of Nursing. So we're targeting these neighborhoods. We worked with the school district to mail out applications for those families that are getting school-based clinic care for asthma. They sent out applications. We've delivered applications to the Broadway Center, Pheasant Ridge Center, Community Mental Health. And what will happen is that for those families that apply by August 1st, we will send a nurse from the College of Nursing out there. They'll do an in-home asthma visit, absolutely free to the, the family. They'll come up with an asthma care plan and educate. And then we will send out our inspectors and we'll look at ways that we can improve the household and to improve the indoor air quality. Um, so we'll provide up to 7,500 in rehabilitation assistance um, for those families. So between asthma education and improving the built environment, we're hoping to really cut down those asthma ER visits. Um, we've also sent the application to our three Medicaid providers in Iowa saying what neighborhoods we're targeting and if they could get that information to them. Um, we're learning through healthcare due to confidentiality. There's so many ways I can't get direct information, so you kind of have to use whatever resources you have available to get to those folks. Um, and then in June, we will go to, oh, we had the Phoenix convening, and it was almost like Shark Tank because we presented the Behavioral Access Health Center idea to a panel of funders and knowledgeable people from foundations about how we can make our presentations to a larger breadth of organizations to get funding for our goals or for our projects. Um, you can see the strat or the Invest Health survey that we did. We had great turnout. Um, we found we were happy that most residents said they were happy with their neighborhood, but there are problems. Um, especially in the town crest, we had over 60% report that the, on most days they feel sad, lonely, anxiety, depression. Um, 
We also found that, like in the Broadway neighborhood, 30% of people didn't know any of their neighbors. So with this information, we took this information back to our stakeholders. We had a quarterly stakeholder meeting. We include neighborhood residents. We had at Iowa City Compassion and saying basically on these results, what can we do about it? What projects would help asthma, mental health, and some of the other issues that we came across in the survey? Um, they came up with 50 ideas about. And so on some of these, you see these ideas. What our goal now is to prioritize ideas so that we can take back to funders at the next, the last convening in New Orleans um, and present to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the reinvestment fund, and basically anybody who will fund us <laughs> how we get money for these projects that we've identified. What we do now is we have to prioritize those. So we'll be at the Juneteenth celebration. We'll be at Party in the Park. We'll be at Broadway um, substation meetings. We'll be at any meetings this summer that we can hear from actual residents that what projects they would like to see in their neighborhood. So um, expect to see some invest health booths this summer at different places. Then after the summer, we'll meet with our stakeholder group and we'll prioritize. I mean, we'll finally finalize what pipeline of projects we want to present to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So when we go back to New Orleans, we'll be prepared with numbers, facts, neighborhood preferences, so that we can see um, what happens. And then even if we don't get direct funding from this, we've started a lot of collaborations with people we have never worked before. So our job will be to continue those collaborations and to be a resource so when the university, Mercy, um, hospitals and clinics want to know who they should come to, they, they have a face, they have a name. Um, and then we can put them in touch with who we need to. And that's the same way. So when I call Catherine or Vicki, I'm like, okay, who do I need to talk to for this? So I think it's a great program, it's a great initiative, and we'll see what happens in December. Great. Uh, Tracy, I learned a long time ago that, it all, that repetition often helps. What I mean by that is uh, I sense that we've received a, 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 a quick blur of information, which is really important, and y'all are doing a great job. But I'm, I'm wondering if you could just kind of restate the last part, that last slide. Where do we go from here? Just work us through it a little bit more slowly so that we can take it in, really absorb mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Okay. So we had 50 ideas so far at our last stakeholder group about what they wanted to do. I just put 20 because I didn't have a big enough slide. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'll do this summer is like at Juneteenth, we have a big bulletin or a big poster board, and it says what I would like to see in my neighborhood to improve health, and people will get a post-it note. They'll write what ideas they want. They'll put it on the poster board. Then we'll take the top 20 because when we were at the stakeholder, we played a, it's called a game stormer type activity. We had 50 ideas. 50 ideas, and then people would go up there, and they would choose the one that they wanted to present, and then they had to meet with somebody else. So like it'd be me and Marianne, we have two cards, two project ideas. We have seven points. And so out of that seven points, we can choose six, one, two, three. So we have to decide which project idea got the most points, but it had to add up to seven. Then you did it five times with different people. And then at the end, whoever had the greatest score was the one that people felt was the most important. So we did that. We got the top 20. You're seeing them up here. Um, and then we'll take that on a poster board and we'll have that and then we're going to give people five stickers and basically say put it on the, on the one that your five projects that you feel are the most important. And we'll do ex exercises like that all summer to get at what people want to see, what people want in their neighborhoods. Some we have to get from the neighborhoods, but when it talks about system changing, when people say they want to be able to go to affordable dentist or, or physician without a, a waiting line or waiting time, then we have to look to the providers, okay, how do we do that? Because your general resident, I don't know how to do that. Residents don't know how to do that, but our, our experts in the healthcare industry have ideas. So we're gonna take whatever ideas 
the neighborhood wants, and then we're going to start working with our stakeholder groups about how we can how we can do it, how much money we need, and present it as a project. That is that what you mean? <laughs> it helps. Okay. I mean, y'all are deeply into this, and we're not, but mm -hmm. it connects clearly with all sorts of things we've been trying to mm -hmm. do. So I just wanted to take it in and. Uh, maybe, maybe you folks have some questions you want to ask, and I, I know there's some things about the survey I want to mm -hmm. rivet some attention on, but okay. yeah. I just have a question, Tracy. When you guys went to Phoenix, you didn't have a specific project, so you used the Behavioral Access Center kind of as your project to go into the shark tank, so yes. to speak, yes. and get to an learn idea. how to present better. <laughs> present better. But it seems to me what I'm seeing here is as you go forward, that's not necessarily going to be a part of what you're doing. You're looking at more true neighborhood kinds of projects. It's a project idea, and I still think it'll rank highly, because um, with our stakeholder group, they want to see it. Um, the Behavior Access Health Center, when we look at mental health, we realize our neighborhoods are going to be disproportionately represented in the people who need that type of service. Mm -hmm. So I think the committee, we all agree that it's important, so it'll be one of our top ideas. Plus, it's an idea that People have been working on for years. Um, the the advisors basically said we had a great steering committee. Everybody that needed to be on that committee is on the committee. So um, you'll present multiple projects. Oh yeah. In December. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have to prioritize. Okay. You know, we, okay. But we don't know how many is is sure. five is ten. I mean, right. how we don't know how much they'll listen to us. <laughs> At some point, they'll cut <laughs> us off and say that's it. Right. Okay. Thanks. But the Behavioral Access Center was a very big part of especially what we presented in Phoenix because right. I think of the cost, too. You know, we can't just pull it out of our hats, as right. you've seen. You've been on the committee. So we liked, we wanted to get some ideas from them as far as how do you pursue with such a large project. So it is up there on, on our priorities. You don't find it in the list of 20, but yeah. uh, it, it was very important, especially with the survey results saying that such a large percentage of folks do feel sad, depressed, or angry. And we yeah. don't need to have them going to the jail with an incident. Plus, part of the long waiting list, even for mental health. Um, Vicki can talk. Want to come up here for a second? Um, Vicki and the Behavioral Access Center, we talked about just the amount of physicians that are available for mental health. You want to comment about that one? Oh, slide? sure. So, um, in Iowa alone, there are about 100 psychiatrists. We need about 300. Um, and when you look at the slide, many of them are housed within Johnson County because of the university and other systems that we have here. But most of them are researchers or administrators or um, executives or they're working in the prison system or a specific population. So they don't have access and can't provide services to the general public. Um, so that's, that's part of it. The other issue is that there are very, very long waiting lists um, to get in for an assessment at any provider. Um, the quickest way to get an assessment is to go to the emergency room. You'll get an assessment and you'll likely get a follow-up appointment if you go to the emergency room. But the follow-up appointment will be outside of the standards and that's helping to clog our system so that people just can't get in to have their then regularly needed assessments in a timely fashion. So we'll listen to residents, but when they have such a complex issue, that's when we need to listen to our experts as well to figure out how we can how can we address that? So if they say they have a long waiting list, they can't get into mental health, how do we improve that? Well, in terms of the survey data, I, I, I want to repeat some of the figures that I saw. I assume they are quantitatively credible, uh, given the way you structured uh, the survey, but 25% uh, of the respondents speak either French, Swahili, or Spanish. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's in some ways that's not a big surprise at all. Uh, some of us were at the IC Compassion Refugee Summit uh, a couple or so days ago. Uh, it, it's very clear, uh, I think, that we have a substantial number of people in our city who, who don't speak English and yet have certain needs that uh, we need to respond to in some fashion or another. So we that's found, one thing. Yeah. A second is about uh, uh, 45, uh, like 55, well, only 45% say their children have a safe place to play. Uh, in the I don't know, neighborhood, yeah. yeah. I don't know if that means that 55 percent don't think their children have a safe place, but when we met with neighborhoods um, and we met with people, they're basically saying they know they have Mercer Park, they know they have Weatherby, but if you have a toddler, you don't. They want somewhere immediate because they don't feel safe. You can't because you'd have to walk farther. They want a place where young families could, and their immediate neighbor could play, and their toddlers have a safe place. Yeah, that's that, what they were after. That strikes me as a big deal. I, on a personal level, when I was uh, a, a graduate student at UCLA, we lived in married student housing, and that shared play space was absolutely mm -hmm. crucial yeah. for us parents and uh, for the yeah. kids and for uh, building a sense yeah. of community there. A lot of large multifamily developments, they don't have play spaces for small children. So yeah, that and was then a the data about uh, the, num the percent of uh, respondents who have feelings of worry, sadness, anger, fear, or stress most days is pretty striking. 51% report that. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot higher. of people now who are feeling kind of worried and stressed out and all that right now, but this, I think, is significantly more important than the kind of stress people like me feel routinely. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot to do, it sounds like. Uh, you're, you're off to a, a great start, and uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Pauline, did, did you want to add anything to what Tracy and Vicki have said? Oh, it, it's been a great group, and I think we've accomplished big things in, in just this short time, just a year, and uh, to have the combination of knowledge of, of this group of, of people uh, was great. And I think we uh, had a very productive uh, meeting in Phoenix with the Shark Tank folks, as well as uh, we also got to meet up with another young man, Jason, from another uh, uh, Foundation. Root cause from Washington, D.C. Right. And so he offered us some very good ideas as far as some collaborations, and he knew of some other similar uh, behavioral, uh, in, uh, similar to the behavioral center we're talking about that, that we could contact and, and uh, see how they're doing things and have hospital connections, et cetera. So that was very helpful. It's just, it's a wonderful group. They're all, they're very hard workers. They're determined, they're dedicated, and we're going to make some big strides, I think. Great. Uh, does anybody else want to ask questions of Tracy or Vicki? One, one question I have would be, since this is kind of a neighborhood focus, are there was there discussion of having neighborhood associations in these areas to organize um, within the neighborhood to help with the implementation? Yes. They, they keep stressing over and over and over about neighborhood input and getting residents' opinion. Now, whether you go through a formal neighborhood association, I don't know, because historically, we went to things, basically neighborhood associations historically were to exclude people of color and different, so you might not see people, very low income people, wanting to be part of a formal neighborhood association. So they're talking about various ways to get that input without going through such formal um, organizations. Mm -hmm. So basically, go to neighborhood events, put neighborhood events in there, do a lot of meet and greets. It's very, it's not just talking to the social, um, our social workers are great here, but it's also, it's about talking directly to the residents and talking with them one-on-one, -on -one, um, finding neighborhood advocates, no matter what neighborhood, of people that live there that 
want to work with you. Um, but it's also about building trust. They keep saying that um, the speed of change only happens with the amount of trust that you have. So you're not really going to change anything until the people trust you to come to you and talk to you. So they did talk about that, but they basically said you had to widen your net about how you interact, um, how you interact on um, going to churches, going to, to different meetings. That's why our last stakeholder meeting was Iowa City Compassion, so that if people are already there for the food bank day, they could come and meet with us and talk about what they felt they needed in their neighborhood. That, that meeting, I think, was absolutely amazing. It was very productive, and the stakeholders with such a wide, diverse background, uh, they were neighborhood folks, they were the mental health folks. It was a group of people that would have never come together before. They might have had their own little individual ideas of what need to be done and maybe try projects, but this group was, is, was really willing to work together, and Vicki's idea of having the little think tank with the, with the post-it notes and finding the 20 top things, it, it was really amazing, and, and one of the uh, Broadway neighborhood folks told me that she had considered not even coming, but she was so happy that she did, that she'd learned a lot, and she <coughs> was very uh, enthusiastic about what can come out of this. Yes, I talked about how to word things. Um, not making it just for a certain population, but it's for the whole neighborhood. So anybody who lives there can benefit from these things. Anybody in the neighborhood can bet. I mean, if you're talking about we have gotten the criticism before, why just these neighborhoods? Why aren't you doing it citywide? And basically, they base, when you improve low-income neighborhoods, you're basically improving the community. You're improving access. You're improving, you're stabilizing neighborhoods. More people invest in it. More people um, choose to live there. More people invest their money there and their businesses. Um, and a lot of the people that we met with want to start their own entrepreneur. They want to start their own businesses. They were talking about community gardens and then having carts in the local area so they could sell <laughs> produce from their um, community garden um, right in their, their neighborhood. Um, so we've learned a lot in about trying to get that neighborhood input. I guess I'm curious in terms of identifying the existing programs that we have and seeing which of those programs would align with the mission of this organization. And so do you see that we would be sort of expanding what the existing programming is, or do you identify that we might need to have new programming? How do you, how do you assess that? Because there's so many things. Yeah. So for example, yeah. we already have Party in the Parks. Yeah. I think those are great neighborhood outreach programs. Um, so is the type of thing that we'd see the expanding efforts like that, or we may need to do some brand new programming? And do you see coming back to us with additional funding requests, or sort of w w where do you see that happening? I think we're looking at both. Okay. Um, like we were just looking, uh, Marsh and I were talking about PIN grants. Um, yeah, PIN is an example. Yeah, because we know what we've been told. Um, a lot of the neighborhoods are diverse. When we yeah. thought like one neighborhood would have like very, very similar demographics, each of these neighborhoods are very diverse in population, ethnicities, languages spoken. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the neighborhoods said they wanted neighborhood potlucks sponsored by an organization or organizations or churches in the neighborhood basically said they would they would sponsor a potluck or some way to meet and greet your neighbors. And that might be an opportunity that they could apply for a PIN grant. So if they're specifically gonna benefit, you know, like if community mental health wanted to do a program just for the town and campus apartments, that's part of the neighborhood and it's a town crest neighborhood. Um, things like that, we're, we're gonna try to look for ways that we can expand existing services. But yeah, we might, we might apply and we might ask for new partners to fund. We actually had a landlord who saw the survey and basically said, if, um, if we do a neighborhood activity, could you send some volunteers our way? And I'm like, you betcha. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. So. And related to that question, we brought up the question of play spaces and multifamily dwellings. Um, do you see that there could be policy recommendations in terms of the city in terms of making that happen um, with providing more play spaces as part of multifamily developments, like what through, whether through its incentives or regulatory framework? 
Then I don't know. You'd have, probably have to talk to development services, okay. John, about you're talking about like by zoning. So when a yeah, yeah. when a multifamily, they'd have to have certain. Well, I mean spaces. not necessarily, but but that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, problem with public money on private space. I mean, we'd have to we'd have some challenges, and we'd have to talk to Eleanor. Um, if we wanted to fund, uh, like we did fund HACAP, you know, they have those 18 transitional use mm -hmm. units right on Broadway. We paid for a playground for them, but they're a nonprofit. So I don't know what you do if you have a private landlord that doesn't, that's okay. not like a CDBG home assistant and they want to do a playground. If we would provide money for that, I don't know, because um, it's on private property. Well, it's, it those are questions me, we'd have to, to look at. It seems to me it's a, uh, and a valuable question, uh, but not one that can yes, be fully answered right now. we can't solve it tonight, now, yes. But, uh, yeah. So we don't need <clears> to have anybody commit to doing anything, but, but uh, it's a really valuable question. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're talking about existing neighborhoods, but it is something, you know, that I've always, I know, stated on many occasions, you know, the fact that we don't have a usable open space requirement in our multifamily. Mm -hmm. um, this, is, this is one of the outcomes. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, I, what came to my mind in terms of existing multifamily development might be w working with the landlords to see if, if they might be interested, along with the residents, in developing some usable outdoor space. Yeah, and some probably would. It can be very simple. You know, it doesn't have to be an expensive And one final point, Jim, related to the health care question. Obviously, that's a huge issue that really affects the state and federal government. Um, what sort of interactions have we had with the relevant state officials, for example, with Medicaid and with some of the national officials related to the mental health? I mean, obviously, it's a huge issue, but um, do you see making a set of recommendations at least to, to send to Des Moines or sending to our local representatives? Or where, where do you see going with that? I guess more research would be needed. I mean, just for our healthy homes, we yeah. found out the Medicaid providers and we mailed them the information. And I emailed the three, and within an hour, two of them emailed back and said, thank you, this is a great, we'll start sending it to our case managers who have this area. But that's all they told me. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know if they're actually doing it. I mean, when yeah. you're talking to Medicaid providers, it's really hard unless you know the person specifically. So yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep those, we'll keep trying to engage them. And I think if we could show them that we save them money, then they'll probably come to us more often. <laughs> so Tracy, we need to move on, but uh, I, I wanna give you an opportunity you have 12 words. I'm looking for a 12, <laughs> not more than 12 word hmm. response. What's, what's the most important takeaway we should have in hand after hearing you and Vicki speak? Start partnering with more people. Uh, we need to partner with the healthcare industry. Um, it improves our communities, improves the lives of our residents, and we need to foster greater partnerships with um, Mercy, the university, the hospitals and clinics. I think it's great. You came in just under 12 words. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Vicki. Thank you very much. Catherine, it's nice to see you again. Yeah. You too, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we should move on to the next part of our work session here, which is clarification of agenda items. So which uh, brings us to, um, yeah, clarification of agenda items. Any questions about any particular thing, folks? Oh, we're going to be pulling the, uh, what is it, item 3D20, which is approving the final plat for the crossings phases one and two. Let them on the next agenda. Or? Uh, I, I don't know. Will it be on, on the, the next, next agenda, agenda Jeff, or? you think? It presumes so. They were, they were close. The construction documents just weren't where they needed to be for, for final approval, but 
given that uh, there's only one meeting in July and it's your second meeting, I, I don't think there should be any problem to get that on the next agenda. I guess I'd note item 3F10, which is about the Bur Bur excuse me, Burlington-Clinton intersection improvements. And alas, uh, we received no bids, so we're uh, really just going to have to defer that project, I think, until next spring, get the bids out early in the, I don't know, the winter or early yeah, we'll, spring. Yeah, we'll bid them in the fall, winter, yeah, and, and hopefully get on get on someone's yeah, list. Yeah, it's disappointing, but uh, it is what it is. Okay, anything else in terms of clarifying agenda items? I'm not hearing anything, so can we move to uh, the info packet discussion, the June 8 packet? On IP3, I noticed that the Iowa League of Cities Conference is going to be in Davenport this year from September the 27th through the 29th. Um, it can be a good conference to attend, so anybody should think about it. If you want to, tell Jeff. On item six, or IP six, uh, it, uh, the, uh, the, it's about a new historic preservation grant program. So I'm, I'm thinking that, that, first of all, it's a good thing, but I'm hoping it will be publicized so that we can republicize it, you know, using the, our uh, tools and abilities. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the same thing for the, uh, mm, uh, the Climate Action Grant Program, which is in the next info packet. Looks like we have the, the, summer, the Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition has the summer mixer tomorrow night. Can make it right yeah i had planned to but i can't i've got another one to go to <laughs> calendar's getting crazy <laughs> those of us who are there can grieve over sally's departure mm. <laughs> okay anything else in june 8 all right hearing nothing june 15 On IP5, which is about Kmart closing, uh, Doug or somebody, do we have any knowledge about what might happen to the building, what they intend to do with it? Yeah, the uh, current property owner has it listed for sale right now. So we, I've uh, fielded calls from a number of uh, the folks that are interested in uh, they're doing their due diligence, so to speak, and looking at whether they want to uh, make an offer on that property. So I can tell you there's there's some interest, but um, people have checked in with us to see what, uh, um, you know, what our preference would be there. And um, uh, we'll see where it goes. But um, with the property sale or, or potential sale out there, we just kind of have to wait and see and um, see who gets a hold of it and, and what ideas they bring to the table. 
I should mention IP9, which is a proposed council meeting schedule. Uh, does anybody have any problems with any of those dates? I'm seeing nays, so <laughs> heads shaking, so it sounds like it's, it's fine. Thank you, Kelly, for putting that together. Make a quick comment on the pending list, um, which is IP4. We have a tentative schedule out through August. Um, the one caveat I would say to that is, um, you know, as we make progress on this residential occupancy um, issue, we're going to need to come back with you at some point um, this summer and just make sure that the direction, as we as we refine our direction, that that still aligns with where you want to take this. So. Um, as much as we'll try to stick to this schedule, we may have to change it as we move along to, to, to put that item up there. Uh, Jeff and everybody else, on that point, I received a phone call today from somebody. Maybe you also received a phone call because the fellow who called me said he was going to call everybody else. Uh, but basically, this person expressed considerable concern about the, uh, the effects of our moratorium on rents and you know was upset basically that we are taking action that in this person's view are going to drive rents up i don't think that's going to happen of course otherwise i wouldn't have supported it but but nonetheless uh, as we're going through this process of considering that the steps we need to take we should have in mind effect on rents Anything else? Um, the listening post on June fifteenth is was that brought you, you Rodney? Oh, yes. Any any those. little uh, tidbits? Going to wait till council time, but we'd be happy to. So it was. Yeah, we can do it now. It was <laughs> fabulous. I had never been to Kiwanis Park. I hate to admit that, um, but for the public, um, if you've never been there, go there. It is one of the most beautiful parks in the city of Iowa City. Um, there was the party in the park. There was music. Um, Pauline and I, we didn't really do sort of the formal listing post format. Um, it was sort of like we were campaigning. We walked up and chatted with people. Um, two issues that came up, of course, were um, housing issues and um, transportation was a big one too. A lot of people had asked us about whether we could have sort of more frequency on bus routes. Obviously, that's been a, a conversation we've had for a long time, and there's budget issues with that. But I think that would be something, you know, in the next 6 to 12 months to sort of look at. Revisiting some of the ways that we do that, that might be a good thing. Um, the garden looked terrific. I couldn't have been more pleased with how well-tended the garden was. Um, I think a lot of times with the concerns that people have with the gardening program is, are they going to be well-maintained? Well, having observed that, it looked like it was really well-maintained. There's a lot of vegetables growing. Kids were having a lot of good times, and um, we just had a great time. So, Pauline, do you have anything else no, you wanted I, to add? I was going to wait till later, too, but uh, it, it was certainly a different venue, <laughs> and it was more casual. We did, just did sort of the wandering uh, listening post and just chatted with people, introduced ourselves, and uh, what we were so impressed with was as soon as we asked them, you know, do you have any concerns or anything you want to tell us about Iowa City? 
probably 95% said, we love Iowa City. Iowa City is a wonderful place. It's a welcoming place. It's warm. It's vibrant. We, we love it. And uh, here, me being the West Sider and only living a few blocks from there, I was expecting that it would be primarily West Side folks. But there were people from all over Iowa City, East Side, West mm -hmm. Side. And we met some folks from Coralville also that, mm -hmm. that love the Iowa City parks and come to these uh, parties in the park because mm -hmm. of the music. And mm -hmm. so it was sort of, it was different. But, and it was hot, very hot, uh, and a lot of kids. But, uh, but it was great. It, w it was a very positive experience. But uh, they also did mention something about the roads. That was the only other roads thing. Bump, thing. Bumpy yeah. roads in Iowa City. Yep. Otherwise, yep, exactly. very positive comments. It's a city in good. America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So because of what hmm. the two of you told me, I decided to go out there on Father's Day. Oh, okay. It was a real treat. Uh, so I went out with my two sons, uh, my wife, uh, my granddaughter, my daughter-in-law, and went to, you know, hung out in the shelter for a little while and played on the swings and then walked around. and. I discovered a little part of uh, the park that I don't didn't know anything about, and that, that's the hospice oh, yes, uh, yes, section, yes. Um, including some wood sculptures that were paid for in part by my friend Howard Haran and his brother. And you know, I, I didn't know that. I mean, I, I've been out to the, 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 that whole park. It's actually two parks, but. Uh, it was a real treat to discover yeah. that particular part of it. And the play area, I think, is among the best in Iowa City. It was really impressive. You know, I'm sort of an east side guy. I don't get over the West Park as much as I'd like to. Hickory Hill and Creekside are the ones that I like to go to. But yeah, so totally go to that park. Kiwanis is really spectacular. And they have a great bike trail, which I didn't know either. Wonderful so. trail. Mm -hmm. yeah. OK, any, anything else on this particular uh, info packet? All right, uh, hearing nothing, I think we should uh, just kind of adjourn this meeting and we'll get back together at seven o'clock for the formal meeting. City Channel 4. On TV, online, on demand, on Facebook, and now on the go on your mobile device.